effective donating is what I shall talk about this evening. And listeners who have been listening to the show for a while will recognize some similarities with a segment I did 100 episodes ago. Wow. To the number. So I think I can cover this every 100 episodes. That's my new idea. Every 100? All yeah, right. Sure. So we got, we got another two years. <laughs> yeah. Do we have to do this then again? But since the holiday season is coming up, I thought it would be useful to revisit the issue of effectively donating to charity or charities. My segment assumes you're already going to donate to a charity. If you want some arguments of why you should donate to a charity, you can check out episodes 270 or some moral thought experiments in 248. And we even recently re-aired my segment on canned food drives when Pat did his mashup, and that's a great example of trying to be more effective. Mm-hmm. Briefly speaking, people want to do something good, and they often haven't thought necessarily about how to be the most effective. So if you want to help out people who might need food, because there's more transaction costs in acquiring the food and then bringing it to the place, and you may not be buying the right type of food, and the food bank, say, can often buy food at a much cheaper rate than you can, it's better to give them money. So you're still helping people, yeah. still the same cause, you're just being more effective and then having more good in the world done by your money. A lot of this might challenge some of the conventional wisdom, because people can become emotionally attached to certain ways of doing things, and it's hard to put the impact of others ahead of your own immediate emotional gratification. But if you can cognitively realize you're actually helping more people, that should be more emotionally gratifying. You may just have to sort of work on yourself or remind yourself. <laughs> some of the different variables involved in effective donating. One of which is overhead. Many people are often concerned about the overhead in a charity or a non-governmental organization. I'm going to quickly ask the panel, what do you think is an acceptable level of overhead? Adam, Christina, then Pat. Uh, 15%. Yeah, 15 or 20%. Patrick? So I suppose in in a perfect world, you would want 0% given the fact that this is charity. Most people should be donating their time. I would like to see a charity that I donate to at like... 10 and preferably less. Good answers, everyone. And Pat certainly hit on something that's an interesting idea of how we understand charity and what we think it should be and shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. What number is too high? Well, if you guys said 10, 15, 20, uh, 30%, 50%, 90%, that obviously seems a bit too high. <laughs> 90%, wow. Is there a major difference between 8% and 11%? Well, it's obviously three percentage points within that system. Yeah. But I think it's misleading to only look at overhead. Yeah, because it, it is the problem that you're upset that people are using the money ineffectively, or is your problem that the money that's not getting used sort of going somewhere good? Well, or people good, right? uh, have different ideas of what and how things should be run and operate. Sure. Understandably, donors can grab onto this particular metric because it seems like it's a way of comparing very different types of organizations. Oh, these two charities do something completely different. Oh, but one has this overhead, the other one has the other. <laughs> when, of course, it could be that one requires a lot more overhead, or it could just be it's a terrible mm. organization. Right? We always hear the so-called horror stories of an organization that pays like 70% to a different agency to do fundraising for them, outsourcing it, and then getting more money. And that is something to definitely be wary about. Dean Carlin, who does a lot of research in this area and whose article provided a bit of a basis for what I'm telling you tonight, and he was saying that the issue with administrative expense rankings is that the money is often movable, and it's easy to manipulate one's ranking by shifting budgets around, so the difference between, say, 5% overhead and 10% might just be in accounting. There was also a recent excellent piece in the New Republic by Michael Hobbs, and he was talking about Dan Paletta and his book Uncharitable, where this has a nice example of how this can get conflated and confusing about how administrative overhead may increase, but it still may be overall more beneficial. So in Paletta's first cross-country AIDS ride, there were 39 cyclists and pretty much zero overhead. 
The group was small enough to sleep in gymnasiums, to rely on churches and good Samaritans to provide food and hot showers. If supplies fell short, they could knock on doors asking for help, and in a pinch, they could just put up tents in their backyard, and they raised $80,000. 39 cyclists, zero overhead, $80,000. dollars mm-hmm. By the 2000s, the rides were attracting, on average, about 3,000 riders. A group that size requires a logarithmic increase in organization and support, renting out whole campgrounds, professional catering, dedicated medical and legal staff. Overhead costs ballooned to 42% of each donation. Wow. But each ride raised $7 million. Well, yeah. It really is going to depend on the actual projects themselves within a charity, and the success of the charity depends on these specifics. There's not a one-size-fits-all indicator because charities and NGOs do all kinds of things, research, train other ones, build infrastructure, or even give away goats. For donors to truly determine how they're doing it, they need to come with a customized report card for each charity. Now, that said, this overhead number is often reported by the charity, and the charity is often not necessarily beholden to anyone to have it audited to actually necessarily have it be accurate. Good ones, of course, have their books audited, and this is how it goes. But there are about 86,000 charities in Canada and about a million in the United States. So there's only there's going to be a wide range of um, accountability and responsibility within those types of organizations. And auditing also costs money, which is right. overhead. Yes, exactly. There you go. So if you want to spend money to make sure you're legitimate, it will go it'll increase your overhead, right? Yeah. Now, does it not matter at all? Of course it does. So if you want to use heuristic, if the overhead is over 30%, you may not want to donate. If it's over 50%, it'd have to be pretty compelling that they do a certain type of work that they really need to use that in a certain way. Or like I just gave the example, well, you're raising more money even though the overhead is higher. It really depends. Mm -hmm. Uh, To touch on something larger that Pat raised, people certainly see charities as, well, you should donate your time. But certainly, unless you're independently wealthy you couldn't actually work for a charity for free. It just doesn't work. No, for full, full-time. Full-time, right. Or if you have a team of volunteers, anybody who's been in that experience is, yes, sometimes you get highly qualified volunteers, but then often they may go work somewhere else. As well, their commitment to you is voluntary. They, their incentives to stay and do reliable work in a consistent manner over a certain period of time are just not as high as someone who is a paid staff. You often do get what you pay for. And there's a much larger issue is that when a corporation, a for-profit corporation, makes a lot of money and gives very little to charity, most people have no problem with it. But if a charity makes some money and then pays an executive a lot of money because they think that's in the best interest of running their charity, which is doing more good in the world, people usually don't like that. And it's just very interesting how we have these sort of mental boxes of what is appropriate and what is not. Even though if you looked at the consequence of the actions, well, the for-profit company may have nothing to do with trying to help anyone aside from selling their product. Well, the charity is trying to think about the best way to go forward, and maybe they think they have to pay for talent, and you often do in this world. Mm-hmm. Number two, restricting donations. Say you want to donate to the Red Cross, but you want to help a specific emergency, or you want to provide food for hungry people, but only in a specific country, or you want to support international development, providing a family with a goat or some chickens. To do this, when you donate, you click the box online that indicates your preference. Seems pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You get to help people, and you feel better knowing where and how your donation is being used. In the case of a goat, the tangibility helps you feel connected to your donation. And this is important. This is why they advertise that way, and this is why people do it. It's fully understandable. That said, the problem is that the landscape of needs and ability to deliver goods can change, and when a donation is earmarked, the organization loses flexibility in optimizing its efforts. Sometimes, if it's earmarked, it actually like it specifically has to be used in terms of rebuilding parts of Haiti because of the earthquake. They can't shift it around because that's part of the arrangement when the donation was made. Given that you trust the charity enough to give them money to deliver a specific good, it isn't too much of a reach to ask that you trust them enough to determine the best way to spend your money. 
This is what they spend their time on. So give them the freedom to help the best way they see fit. And if tangibility is what helps you, uh, maybe as a, a middle-of-the-road measure, is you can try to think in equivalent terms. Like, well, I gave the equivalent of two goats. I know it's just not as fulfilling. And I, I admit it psychologically it's not. But you are allowing more good to be done. I want a picture of a kid I can put on my fridge. <laughs> exactly. Say, like, this dude ate because I gave him some food. Yeah, honestly, that's how it really does help people. Uh, it's very understandable. We're all, yeah. we're all human here yeah. to be presumptuous. And we respond to such incentives. Uh, number three, splitting donations. It always makes sense to have a diversified portfolio, right? Whether an investment or charitable giving. Not quite. In the world of math, 20 donations of $5 is the same as 5 donations of $20. Yeah. Same price. But that's not how it actually works out. Every donation usually requires a transaction, and this requires some sort of paperwork to be shuffled or banking to occur. And the more of these you have, the more transactional costs there will be. So this seems to make just general sense, and I think a lot of people, they think, well, I want to help in many places, so I'll split it. That's just not the best way to go about it. Perhaps if you do want to donate to, say, 10 places, pick five one year and five the next year. Or pick a couple, and then every six months or every year, you reevaluate how you're doing. By that same logic, would it make more sense to make um, lump sum donations versus having um, certain amounts over, spread over a period of time, over a year or whatever? Depends on the amount. Typically, charities like to know how much money they may have or how much money they're going to have. Meaning, <laughs> okay. if it's a certain amount of lump sum, they would say, sure, just give us a lump sum. If it's a recurring donation and people maybe are likely to stick with a recurring donation, they can sort of count on that money over yeah. time. That said, if it's a lump sum, they definitely have that money. Yeah. Now, if you're thinking about donating a decent amount uh, to charity, maybe in the thousands of dollars, there could be different methods of you donating it that reduce that banking cost. So some charities are able to deposit checks without much of a hit on themselves. If you give us a check, actually, there's no fee. If you use a credit card, there's a 2.2% fee. Yeah. So depending on how you want to put in a little bit more administrative work yourself, if you give a check, you may be reducing the administrative costs, which doesn't even go to the charity. It just goes to a bank, and you'll be helping more people that way. Now, other places, you still get charged for checks, but it may be different. So it really depends on how you uh, are supporting the charity and by what means you do it. And if this isn't uh, clear, uh, say, for example, there's a $0.25 cent fee when you donate that the bank takes from the charity. If you actually donated just $0.25 cents to 100 charities, you'd end up donating nothing to charity, even though, of course, you'd be charged some money. So that's, sort of, that's the extreme version of a very inefficient way to go about doing things. Number four, and this is a Darren original, <laughs> meaning I didn't steal it from this guy. <laughs> Not getting receipts for small donations. I think this is a huge mistake that continues under the guise of either a charity itself or nobility or something like that. If someone's going to give a small donation, they might think to themselves, I just gave $10 at a fundraiser or an auction or whatever. I don't really need a receipt because the amount is so low. It seems like it might be cheap to ask for a receipt. Yeah. Well, if you make enough money and live in a place where there are tax deductions for charity, say 40% like many places in Canada, that means actually if you donated $20 and you asked for a receipt, you'd get $8 back. So if you donate 20 it really costs you 12 Well, if you donate 10 it costs you 10 yeah. So depending on the amount, it may actually be more beneficial for you to donate a little more in terms of a tax deduction, but a lot double actually in terms of the actual outlay of money, depending on how much you need money now versus money later. Well, I'm just donating more to the government because I trust them to do something better with my money. <laughs> you mean you're allowing them to take your salary and not give it back to you? Pretty much. Yeah, it depends how you look at it. They already have it. You're not donating it. You're trying to get it back. Yeah. 
So certainly for donations of one, two, or five dollars, this doesn't make sense. You can't go from one to twenty dollars without uh, increasing your output of money at the time a lot more. But for uh, other amounts, fifteen dollars to twenty dollars, yeah, it's possible if you donate fifteen dollars and it costs you fifteen, you could donate twenty dollars and it costs you less than fifteen. Yeah. So it's just something to really keep in mind about how you give money. And maybe a little more becomes actually a little less. That's the spirit of giving, right? (laughs) Now, in case you're wondering, this is just you pocketing the money. If you want to be really good about it, you could take that extra money you got as a tax deduction and donate that to charity. Yeah. So it can just feed into itself. Another problem that people make is giving into things which advertise very well instead of what is most effective. Many organizations put up glossy publications with nice photos, but how do you know if what they're doing actually works? And this is where we bring in the idea of hopefully something like a randomized control trial is used. Or is there any sort of metric that indicates their intervention or their success wouldn't have happened without the intervention that they themselves provided? Because sometimes you say, at this point, people were in certain state this, and then they got 20% better. Like, well, would they have gotten better anyway? Would they have felt more nourished? Would they have been more educated? Without that control group, you don't know if it's just something that would have happened in the world anyway. Mm -hmm. You need that counterfactual to validate the intervention that the charity proposes or does. Now, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge is a great example. They receive millions and millions of dollars, but was this the best way for people to spend their money? Of course, charitable giving is a personal choice, and if someone supports it, that's fine. That's their choice. But most people had never thought of or considered donating to this charity until the Ice Bucket Challenge, which makes it just seem like it just sort of popped up on someone's radar, and then they thought, oh, I'll do that. Hmm. But most who donated don't know what it is or if they really needed more money. And that's another thing. Not all charities have the same need for more funds. Maybe they have a certain amount of money they're already trying to spend. Maybe if they actually did get a lot more money, they could do something great with it. But most charities can't scale up to 10 times their current size very quickly. And that's almost the scale of the Ice Bucket Challenge and the ALS issue. Also, that many of the efforts the ALS organization is involved in was to raise awareness of ALS, but not necessarily focusing on research itself. Well, they did that with the with the videos, right. if nothing right. else. Now, I would say a lot of people did those videos, still probably couldn't tell you what ALS stands for, nor what the disease really does, nor how far they are in terms of trying to understand what it is. But yes, people know what the words ALS more, and that's good, supposedly. Now, personally, I think awareness only matters as a stepping stone towards making it better for people. Just being aware of something itself doesn't do anything. It depends on the thing. It was like that Coney thing, remember? Coney yeah. 2012. Yeah. Yeah, I know something, and know it. Right? Yeah. And of course, worse is once you know something and you're engaged in this, you probably feel better about yourself and you're less inclined to do something else. That's the other thing about these knockoff effects. The primary thing throughout all of this presentation that I've been doing is to focus on cost effectiveness. They're all sort of different slices of the same thing, both for the charity and yourself. How much good can the charity do for each dollar you donate, Mm -hmm. and how can you be the most effective with each dollar you donate? Now, this is framed in terms of money, but it could also be framed in terms of time. It's almost equivalent, because I've heard time is money. Now, charities do respond to donors, so the more donors push them to provide detailed, actual methods and descriptions of how their interventions actually work, the more they will actually do it. This will take a lot of time, but the more people ask, the more charities will actually respond. Now, initially, they might give some crappier version that sort of satisfies some number of people, even though it's not actually that rigorous, but over time, hopefully, there can also be a change in how people document what they do. And this is, and this would, increase overhead costs in some way, unless you define assessing cost effectiveness or assessing the validity of your measures within your programs versus your admin costs. But as you can see, this goes back to the depends how you split hairs. The important thing is that there's some sort of auditing or analysis being done, and 
that should be paid for by the charity. It doesn't matter what you call it, at least in my opinion. So that's the main overview of how to make your own donating more effective. Now, if you happen to be thinking, oh, that sounds good, I have no idea where to start. If you're thinking about cost-effectiveness and what are the causes that are most important in this world, obviously that's a personal choice, but if you have truly no idea where to start, I would suggest... Two words. Malaria nets. <laughs> <laughs> I would suggest givewell.org and the website Giving What We Can. Uh, these are both charity evaluation websites. They use similar data sources from different research labs who've looked into different interventions and assess what works best and what doesn't. So typically the ones that, in my opinion, uh, are great in terms of actual charities are the Against Malaria Foundation, which is still highly ranked by giving what we can, although GiveWell thinks they haven't spent their money quickly enough, even though they have spent their money a bit more recently. As well, Give Directly, which transfers money to very poor families in Kenya, as well as SCI, or the Cystosomiasis control initiative which treats for parasitic worms and a lot of children suffer from these intestinal worms and that precludes them from attending school and not being in pain there's a lot of actually debate about cystosomiasis and how problematic it is it does not kill as many people as malaria but it does infect many children and they are suffering whether their attendance in school brings a dramatic increase in education is something subject to debate which maybe we'll cover in a different show now in canada at least the Against Malaria Foundation is tax-deductible, but GiveDirectly is not. And I wanted to contribute to GiveDirectly, but I'd be reluctant because I'd actually have to convince myself that the tax deduction I would have gotten from Against Malaria is outweighed by the efficacy of GiveDirectly. And it's harder to say, well, is that really 35% more effective money-wise? Yeah. Assuming I'm going to donate the same amount. Now, thankfully, this limitation may not be an issue for some of us, depending on the country in which you live. There are several charitable organizations operating with their own charitable tax status in their respective countries that are able to legitimately overcome this obstacle. The one I'm going to briefly discuss is called Charity Science, and it's Canadian. And I'll provide a link for the website that lets you choose among several countries, depending on which country you might find yourself in, which is going to then link to a different organization. Briefly, Charity Science looks at the science and advocates for most effective evidence-backed charities. A lot of it is based on the GiveWell recommendations. All donations to charity science, which is usually GiveWell charities, are matched, meaning if someone donates to, say, give directly through charity science, it can be matched in a certain way by a donor, who then says, okay, I'll, I'll match that. As well, they don't take any fees or any money from for any other outreach. So Pat, yes, they have zero overhead. They basically all just volunteer their time Although if you want to donate money to them specifically, you actually have to state that. Otherwise, it will be given to a more effective charity. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's your there's your uh, illusion of zero overhead. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, also, the Against Malaria Foundation, they also have zero overhead. Now, that's because really? they have private donors, which cover their salaries. Yeah. So it's not that it is zero. It's that your money contributes to the programs, and 0% of your money is going to overhead, which is maybe a better way of saying it. Which well, is kind of what people want. Well, which is like when you were talking about the the, the, the bikes. They, they you know they were still getting charity from other people or donations of of, of time or whatever. Um, which I guess is is, is in a way um, what volunteer is. Oh. Someone is donating their time instead of money, and, exactly. and that is exactly a kind of overhead. But it's, it's kind of hard to conceptually right. And you 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 wouldn't want a charity that doesn't keep any records of anything. <laughs> <laughs> the money's in a box in that guy's house. Who I don't know where he is. Yeah, we don't even have phones. Don't worry about it. No overhead. But Darren, I, I still don't understand when you said that all donations are matched. What does that mean? Great question. I think I wasn't really clear on it. There's two different things that are happening. One is that if you donate through charity science. They have someone else who they know who who's, wants to donate to give well back charities that will match whatever donation you make. Okay, so say you give 
I don't know, thousand dollars to one of the give well charities through charity science, someone else will give another thousand dollars. Okay. But is that someone else just like you? Like we just pair people up? Uh, that's I believe it is a specific individual who okay. said they will match all these donations. Yeah. Because I don't believe because I don't believe the donations are in the millions, so the person doesn't have to have that concern at this moment. But, yeah, but sorry, what is the significance of that? Um. Well, for certain individuals, they may feel a greater incentive to give if they know their money will be somewhat doubled. So are these large groups of people with pools of money who are willing to donate extremely large amounts of money in order to try and motivate others? Is that the idea? I think that is the idea. Okay. Although, uh, in the charity science realm, because it's, well, it's a, I mean, Canadian charities are typically smaller than in the States and they're still gaining more traction and uh, visibility, it's only been in the tens of thousands. Only, quote unquote. So, an individual could cover that more easily than if it's in the hundreds of thousands, of course. I guess the way I originally interpreted it is if you're willing to donate $100, they'll match you to someone else willing to donate $100, which didn't make a ton of sense to me. Well, that hints on. What might be happening in the second stage of things, okay. which is that you can have international matching. So Charity Science also coordinates with international foundations to allow Canadians to donate to a wide range of effective charities while still getting tax deductions. And this works through a system similar to what Tides Canada uses, which is another organization. And they send out tax receipts once a month and generally suggest that international people give through GiveWell. The general idea is that you can match with other organizations to ensure that the money you want to go to an organization does go to that organization and you're still able to get a tax receipt for that amount of money. If you have any further questions about this, you can contact the Charity Science people at their website. They're a nice bunch and they're happy to provide you with more information and there will be a link in the show notes. At trcpodcast.com. It's a great website. <laughs> so that was my overview of effective donating. So again, don't focus too much on the overhead. Be wary of splitting your donation too much. Get those receipts for smaller donations, as well as just thinking about that general issue of cost effectiveness, not what is flashy advertising. <laughs>